Amen. Uh, good morning. This, mo this morning we are reading from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 16, verses 22 to, to 34. So the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrate ordered them to be striped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was condemned, commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such order, he put them into the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. At, at once, all prison's door flew open, and every body chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the, the prison door open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the, prison, the, pris, the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sir, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your asshole. Then he spoke, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wound. Then immediate, immediately, he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Well, thank you, Ange and Angela, for reading God's word. Uh, it's so fitting to, uh, to listen to a family, kind of a dad and his daughter, read the word in this backpack uh, Sunday, blessing of the backpack. So thank you very much for reading God's word. Angie's first language is French. Mine is Romanian and you listen to us speaking to you in uh, English. So that's pretty brave of you, you know. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. But he can talk Chinese too. Anyway, so um, this morning I, uh, I would like us to just stay on the same blessing of the backpacks. Children, you know, what, what an important part of our lives and of our families. And there is a question, I think, that all of us have at some point uh, maybe parents, or maybe later on grandparents, we all think, you know, we all think of these questions, will my children have faith? We think of many things, but this is one of the questions that bothers us. Comes back and back to us, you know, because of different events, you know. The moment you have children, and this is a picture taken a few years ago with my family, but the moment they come into your life, whether they come to natural birth, or they come uh, biological children, or adopted children, or somehow they end up uh, and they are part of your family, you uh, and the children have united your destinies. Your journey is one. 
If they suffer, you suffer. If they fall, you feel pain. And if they succeed, then you rejoice. I remember my daughter was about 16 or so, just uh, got her driver license, and she, uh, she was driving with a friend in about half a mile, just at the end of our road. She got into an accident, and my wife pulled behind, and she had no clue. She just uh, saw the, the fire trucks and uh, the ambulances and everybody else there, and she, uh, then she recognized the car. She saw her friend outside the car crying, and she didn't see my daughter, and then she realized, well, what if she is dead inside, right? And uh, it's always the pain that you feel in your heart when something happens to your kids immediately reverberates into your soul, and you feel with them. You go through life with them. And I mean, fortunately for us, she wasn't, uh, you know, badly injured, but she was uh, in, a, in a, you know, it could have been so much worse. But we as parents, once we have kids, we want them to succeed. We want them to do well. And that's what Eric was saying earlier. You know, he said, we want here at Hillside to be a church where families succeed, where families do well and kids are blessed. That's why we even had a blessing of the backpacks this morning. And that's why we have the children ministry and the middle school and the youth and uh, every support group and women in the word, as you, heard, as you heard earlier, women in the word and men's group and everything. We are trying to make sure that they succeed. And the calling that we have when children are being brought to baptism here is to nurture. And God calls us to nurture the faith of our kids. And as they grow up, we still, as adults, we walk and we do life with our adult children. It never stops. They come into your life and they never leave, right? They come into your life once, but then they never leave. They stay with you until the end, either your end or their end, but they stay with us. And uh, the jailer in this story, he asked one question. He said, what shall I do to be saved? And maybe for us, is, the question is, what shall I do so that my kids will be saved? There's nothing that you can do to save them immediately, automatically. You know, you are not a savior, and we are their parents, but we are not the Lord. We are not the savior. There is only one Lord, one savior, that is Jesus Christ. But we as parents are called to pray for them, to nurture them. And the truth is that the devil wants to destroy our family. If he has one purpose, he has, among other purposes, but this is a key one. He is looking to destroy our families. He's looking to destroy the faith of the next generation, to destroy the way that we look at families. And showing Christ to our kids is not easy because they see us. The kids are the persons in our, in our close proximity. They see us when we fail, when we argue, when we quarrel, when we lose our temper. They see us when we kind of take set the Scripture aside and take the law in our own hands. Sometimes we feel, oh, now... I am going to discipline you, I'm going to punish you like I should, or, you know, so they see us every time that we fail. They see us when we are in good moments, but they see us also on the valleys. So the children, the children see us, so it's hard to witness to them, and yet, and yet sometimes when we lose heart, just remember that God has not given up on our kids. He has not given up on our kids. We might not be the best witnesses to them. We might not be the best examples to them. We might not follow Christ all the time. But in the end, we are not the model. We are just the pointers. And our role is to point them to Christ. There is somebody who can carry them. There is somebody who can walk with them way better, way longer 
Not only in this life, but in eternity. And that's what we have to do here in our, on our lives to make sure that we remember that God is never giving up on our kids. And no matter how discouraging seems to be the situation, there's still hope. There's still hope. A lot of our children disappoint us. A lot of moments that are disappointing, a lot of moments that are joys. But regardless of how the valley, how deep is the valley, how dark is the valley that they are walking through, remember that there is still hope. It's just a valley. And there is an end to a valley or there is a hill that they can come back and they can come back off that dark period of life. And remember that whatever it happens, God is relentlessly in His love chasing after our kids. He wants our kids to be saved. He wants us to be a whole family, a blessed family, successful family. God is for us and for our kids. And the story this morning, we only read a portion of chapter 16, but the story, it's an interesting story of how God is going to save people and kids and families, the first families, I will say, in Europe, as far as we know. So you see, Paul is in this journey with Silas, and for the first time in a dream, a man comes to him while he is in Turkey, in Troas, in that city, and the man in the dream says, come over to Macedonia and help us, basically saying, come and preach to us the gospel here in what we call today Europe. And that's what he's doing. He's crossing uh, the sea and goes to Macedonia, and the largest city is Philippi, and he goes in Philippi, and for the first time, people there have a chance to hear the, the gospel. It's a beautiful city. It's a large, developed Roman colony. A lot of things are happening there. A lot of things are there. And yet there is no Jewish synagogue. There is nothing to go and pray. So what do they do? They go by a river. And even today, there is this place outside the city by a river where they thought that people will go there and pray. They just assumed. They said, if I were a, a praying person, where would I go? And I wouldn't worship these temples. I will go here outside, and they go outside there. And they are interesting in this chapter. We haven't read the whole thing, but there are three conversion stories in the chapter. Conversion means coming to faith. Three coming to faith stories. And I just briefly want to look at the other ones, like just to look at the other two that we never read. The first one is Lydia. She is a businesswoman. The second one is a slave girl, a fortune teller. And the third one is the one we read, the jailer, a Roman official. So if you look at Lydia, she is a successful woman. She is a wealthy trader. She trades purple cloths. That's very luxury items. You know, she is doing well. She is not from there, but she has different houses, obviously, and one of them is in Philippi, and her family is with her. And she is kind of seeking God. And what she is doing is she goes to the same place where the apostles go by that river, trying to worship with other women to a god, that maybe she heard of from other Jews or, or maybe from being in close proximity to a synagogue in Asia where she comes from. So she is an Asian immigrant. But while she is worshiping there, Paul and Silas come and preach the gospel to her. And what the, the gospel, the, the, the word says that she received the gospel. God opened her heart. And immediately she responds positively to the gospel. We don't know what Paul said, but he might have said, you know, have you heard of Jesus? No, never heard. I heard of God, but not Jesus. Now let me tell about Jesus. And he told her about Jesus. 
her conversion was a rational account, just listening to a rational explanation, a layout of the gospel. And when she heard, she and her household were baptized. And she urged us, that is the apostle Paul and Silas, to go and say, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. That's Lydia. The, sa the second one is a slave girl. In the same city, there is a slave girl. She's not outside. She's not working. I mean, she's not looking to worship God, but she is socially enslaved because she belongs to some masters. And economically, she is depressed because everything that she makes goes to her masters. And spiritually, she is possessed. In the Greek, it says that she had the spirit. In, in English, it says she, was, she had the, um, the Greek word is the python, the spirit of python, which means the spirit of foretelling. It comes from an oracle in Delphi, and, and basically she is possessed by this spirit so she can make money. She can foretell the future to people. And she's so knowledgeable, the spirit, the, the demon that is in her is so knowledgeable that she goes around Paul and, and behind them and nagging them and saying, these men are slaves. You see, she knows what it means to be a slave. Are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. The demon that is possessing her knows exactly who Paul and Silas are. And after a while, Paul gets angry, annoyed. He turns to her and said, you know, demon, get out of her. And he casts out the demon, and she is released. It's an exorcism story. So her conversion is a power encounter with Christ, a power encounter with Christ. And then finally, the third story is the Roman jailer he might have been a, a retired Roman soldier who did well, served with distinction, and he was rewarded with this post, you know, to control the jail in the most important city in Macedonia. And what kind of a gospel he needs? He needs to hear the gospel, but also he needs to see. So he is the guy who needs to see God at work, and he's going to see God at work. And that's how he's going to be converted, by seeing what God does in his life, and in the life of others. So three conversion stories. The first one is Lydia. She needs a rational account, an explanation of the gospel. The second one is the slave girl, a powerful power encounter with Christ. And the third one is the jailer, and he sees God at work. And that's how they come to Christ. You see, the jail in Philippi is like one of those Roman jails that's almost like a cave. And Paul and Silas are thrown in the cave. They are flogged almost killed in Roman flogging. They are thrown in jails, in stocks, in chains, and it's a long night, painful night. But what do they do? They start to pray and to sing songs in the middle of the night. And the other prisoners listen to them, and they listen to the gospel. They listen to the songs that they sing. They listen to the prayers. They listen to the good news of Christ. They realize something is happening, and God responds with an earthquake. And the earthquake shatters, you know, the doors, the chains, everything. And suddenly, all of the prisoners are free to go. And the jailer wake, wakes up, and he wants to kill himself. You see, the Romans had this law. If you are a jailer and your prisoner escapes, then you get the same punishment. Obviously, there must have been people on the death row because he wants to kill himself. That would have been the punishment for him if his prisoners would have escaped. And Paul and Sina says, wait, wait a minute. Don't harm yourself. Don't harm yourself. We are here. And when he realizes that all of the others are there, even those that are on the death row, he says something is different. 
They would have not only escaped, but they would have maybe come to my house and killed my house. But look, they are still there. What is? And then he says, sirs, what, what, what shall I do to be saved? I want to be like you. You are free to go, and yet you stay. And not only you stay, but through your message, you have something that you made everybody else stay. What is happening? This must be of a supernatural power. It's not natural what happens. All of the prisoners to stay there. And the answer is believe on Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And it's interesting that the jailer takes them home. He takes them. They, they stay in jail and he says, you must come and talk to my, 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 my kids. Can you imagine going to your kids in the middle of the night? And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. They were maybe sleepy kids who just woke up, sleepy wife, sleepy servants, angry. What's going on at 1 o'clock at night? Why do you wake up us, Dad? And he said, you need to listen to the gospel. And what do they do? They spoke the word of the Lord. We don't know what they said, but just imagine. What would you say? What would you say to somebody in the middle of the night to be brief and yet concise and clear? We don't know, but just imagine that you witness to somebody who has kids young, like the ones that we pray for, backpacks, maybe 12, 14 years old. And you say, you know, you might say something like this. God created this world, a beautiful world, and he put us here to be free people, free to love him, free to enjoy the world and to love one another. But there is something that comes into the world, and it's called sin. Just think that one night you come from playing with your friends and you have a bruise on your head and your eye is black, and your mom says, what did you do, Johnny? Did you get into a fight? And you say, no. And it's a lie. So you start to lie. But maybe, maybe take something contemporary, like vaping, right? Maybe it's not even sure that it's a sin. But mom and dad wants to know. You went to a party, and they say, did they vape? You say, yeah, some people were vaping. But did you vape? Well, I, mom, you know, I don't vape, so I didn't vape. Well, it's a lie. You know, then, then they start to say, well, I just read that our governor here in Michigan, they, they said that it's dangerous vaping for kids. You know, we shouldn't do that. They, you know, then they, you start to be angry at your parents. Why do they come after me? You know, everybody's vaping. Why? And then as you argue with your parents, the next day you go and you talk to your, to your friends and you say, what's wrong with our parents? Look at my parents. What do they do? They, they think that vaping is such a big deal. And then you get angry at your parents and then you slander them. And then they, they say, you know what? It's not only your parents, but my parents. And by the way, do you know what they do? They think that vaping is a big deal. But let me tell you, and then you gossip about one other, you know, parents and what happens in, in your families. And then you say, we need to make sure that they don't know that we are vaping. So you start to plan a deception plan. From now on, they will have no idea, you say. We are 14, we should be able to do this. And then... Suddenly, you start to think, and as the weeks go by, you start to believe, hey, this is not even a sin to lie. It's not a sin. What's, what's the deal? I mean, I'm just going home, and I tell whatever I want to my parents because I have a narrative. We now have a narrative. And that's what sin does to you. Sin kind of chains you. It puts you in shackles. And when, when you think, well, I can go on this website, and I can go on more deep depth, but I can stop any time. And you discover that, you know, you cannot have what you want. You cannot stop because now you are bond, you are in bondage to sin. You say, I can have just one drink, maybe two, but I can stop. And then you realize, no, I cannot. 
I will start this fight and quarrel, but I will stop in one minute. But then half an hour later, you are five miles apart because you cannot stop. And that's what sin does. It enshackles you. And you know what Christ does? Christ comes and sets you free. Sets you free from all of that sin. Gives you forgiveness. Gives you power over sin. And you say, what do you mean by that? And say, yeah, am I not going to sin? And no, you will. Sin is still there, but it's not anymore your master. You have another master. And when you sin this time, you confess and you bounce back. And you promise to repent. And you leave behind. And you have the power to go forward. And the jailer and his household, they hear this message. They understand what it means to be in bondage. He's a jailer, by the way. And he says, that's what Christ does. That's why you didn't run. Yeah, Christ has set us free. And we are free indeed. We don't need to run. We don't need to escape from jail. We just need to be free from our sin, from our bondage. And they receive the gospel. And he's a changed man. Suddenly, the guys who caused wounds is the one who washed their wounds. Their wounds. And he sets a meal before them. In the middle of the night, can you imagine him setting a meal, maybe killing a chicken or something? In the middle of the night. And he and his family was filled with joy because they came to believe in God. So what do we learn from this, you say? What's about this first century story with us? And I will say the first thing that you can uh, learn is just wait. Be patient. Be patient. Don't give up and trust in God. It doesn't mean that our kids are going to be immediately perfect kids. It takes a long time. It's a journey. But don't despair. Wait. Do you know how much these kids waited to hear the gospel? Like I said, this was the first time the gospel, as far as we know, crossed into Macedonia, into Europe. We believe, at least in my country, that Andrew came and came a few hundred, hundred miles north to Romania, what today is Romania. But don't give up. Trust. Have patience and wait for God to act. He's going to act. He's going to be faithful. And in the end, salvation is not up to us. It's up to God. And if you pray a long time, it's okay. Some of you have stories. You know, you said, you know, two of my kids were just following God from the beginning, but one of them went astray. And I prayed, I prayed for her, and she got married, she had kids, and she still was away, far away. She never wanted anything to do with our faith, with Christ, with the church. But I prayed, and 10 years passed by, and I still prayed. 15 years passed by, and I still prayed. And you had stories, you say, you know, it took 18, it took 20 years. But finally, the gospel, the gospel came to my child. You never know. Maybe you will pass away before they will turn to Christ. But don't despair. Don't despair. Wait. And second, live faithfully. You know, there's nothing that you can do besides just being faithful. What can you replace by that? And you cannot be a witness, of course, unless your kids see that you are a changed person. The jailer and Lydia, both of them, they took the gospel to their home because they were changed by the gospel. And you can show your kids, right? You can show your kids how to walk by faith, but you can never give them faith. That is a gift of God. You just pray that they will look at you and say, I want to walk with the same Savior. So there are some things, I think, maybe five things that you can do with your kids and do it together. And it may sound cheesy for some of you, but 
And a lot of you are doing things, you know, just take it like last week, Pastor Ron said, I am preaching now to myself. The same thing, I am preaching today to myself, okay? As a parent, I am preaching today to myself. But just some cheesy things maybe for some, but it's very important that you can do together, together with your kids. And maybe the first one is just worship together. It can be on Sundays, you know, come here. Maybe they need to go to their kids' places to, uh, to learn in Kids Rock or... Maybe you bring them for the youth group or whatever you do. Just make sure that you worship with them together. Second, you might want to say, let's read the Bible together. When I came in this country, I saw that people read the Bible. Let's read the Bible together after the meals, before the meals. Maybe one verse and discuss it. Finally, uh, finally listen to, to Christian music. Listen to their music and talk about it. Serve others together. There's nothing that you can do but engage them in church and make sure that you also sometimes engage in mission. Do something with them together. Together. Call them to be faithful. I'm not sure what your kids are, are like. But if your child is like Lydia, you might just need to pray and sign up for every opportunity you have, either at a church or in town, like City Fest or something like a big uh, event is coming, a singer or somebody who is a Christian. And go there and let them hear the gospel. Hear the gospel. If your child is like the slave girl, maybe you pray and you fast for an encounter with the Lord, for a change in their life. Something will come and the power of God will change them. Or if they are like the jailer, maybe they just need to see God at work in their lives and in your lives. And to see this is amazing. This is supernatural. And then wait. Wait and be patient. And live faithfully, because one day they will be changed. One day the Lord will answer. One day the Lord will come and do what it needs so that they can have faith and walk with Him. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that uh, you call us to love our children, to nurture faith in them, to bless them, to point them to Christ. And we give you thanks for the gospel that came to places like Europe, in such a miraculous way, you blessed Europe with the gospel and you blessed families with the gospel. We thank you for examples such as Lydia and uh, the jailer and the slave girl. We ask that you will continue to watch over our kids. And may this school year be a school, a school year, a time when you work in their hearts and you grow their faith, you strengthen them, and you show yourself to them in powerful ways. We need you to shackle the bounds of sin in their lives, to, to shatter the shackles that uh, the sin places around them. May they see themselves in uh, the light of Christ. May they see themselves as people who are freed by Christ and by His love. And may you help us as parents to nurture that faith, to walk with them, to continue to love on them and pray for them. Because we want to be a church in which the families are blessed, the kids are blessed, and they are successful. We want to see you at work in us and in our kids. So come, free our kids, and help them to follow you, and help us to be guides and good examples, to live faithfully, to be patient, and to let you do your work in their hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? And as we leave this place this morning, if you need to pray with somebody, there is a prayer room here to my right. And as you go from this place, remember that you go with the love of God the Father, the grace of Jesus Christ 
and with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit who empowers us to look at Christ every day. Amen. You may go in peace.